Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining with us for this week's podcast. As per usual, before we begin our time together, I just want to take a minute, let you know a bit of what has been happening in our community. This week, Sam Seifert continues our series, While We Wait. And this past week, we hosted our annual Stampede Breakfast, and it was a great time together, uh, eating pancakes, and the sausage was a hit. So thank you to all the people, all the volunteers that made that happen. And this year we were able to welcome over 1,800 people to this year's event, so we're pretty pumped. The best way to know what's going on at Southview is by checking out our weekly viewpoint. You can find a link to our viewpoint in the episode description of this podcast, or you can go on Realm and join the group Southview Family Updates, and that will make sure that you're always getting the weekly viewpoint in your inbox. And if you're new with us here, even in this digital space, we'd love to hear from you. And you can find an online connection card at the bottom of that viewpoint, along with a prayer request form so that we can support and join you in prayer. And additionally, you can always find us on Instagram and Facebook. But now today, no matter how you're joining with us, may your heart be open and expectant because God is here and Jesus invites us to bring all that we are and all that we're currently carrying to him. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, let's seek the face of God together. Well, hello, Southview family. How are you doing? Good. Well, it's great to be here together. And if you're a newcomer, special welcome. And to those of you joining us online, uh, welcome to you as well. Uh, Happy Stampede Week. I don't know if any of you have been down there yet. Might be making a new city record, I hear. A lot of excitement about that. That's great. Um, So let's just get started and see if I can engage you in other ways. How many of you uh, enjoyed taking tests in school? Yeah, I didn't think so. Those of you online, no one raised their hand in here. Uh, Many students just finished uh, school uh, last month and had a lot of tests, stressful times uh, for some of those students. Our our daughter had a grade 9 provincial achievement test, the PATs, and uh, full days of tests and, you know, Dad at the kitchen table at 9 o'clock at night trying to figure out how to do linear equations uh, to teach her to, like, get ready for her test. So that was fun. And uh, But I know the word test doesn't activate uh, positive associations for a lot of people. I'm one of those people. Uh, I did not like tests. Uh, In my high school, uh, down in, I grew up in Fairview, Montana. This is a picture of the high school I went to. I was not the BMOC on that campus. Uh, I was uh, just a regular Joe uh, who didn't like doing uh, tests. And so one of the things that our school did is you didn't have to do a final test if you kept your attendance up. And so it was one of the incentives to keep uh, students in school. So, for instance, if you had an A in the class, you could miss up to four days and not take the final test of that class. If you had a B, you could miss up to three uh, days. And since I was around C's, uh, that's kind of where I live because I just really didn't care about school a whole lot. I could only miss like two days of school uh, and not take any tests. I'm happy to say I did not take any final tests in high school. I would go to school if I was puking, 
If I had rabies, I was foaming at the mouth, my friends would be like, you should really go home. It's like, no, I am not taking a test at the end of this year um, if I didn't have to. Tests are not fun. But I don't know if you knew this. Places of liminality provide their own tests for us. And you're like, great. That's really encouraging, knowing that most of life is lived in liminal space. So life is just one big test, you're saying? Unfortunately, it sounds like it is. And God does. He brings us tests through the everyday journey of our lives. Life has a way of going up, down, sideways, all around. And in the midst of it all, how will we respond to the situations or circumstances that present themselves to us in this journey? And you may be wondering, what do I mean by God brings us tests? Why would God do that? Isn't life hard enough on its own? I mean, think about marriage. Two people coming into this most intimate relationship with their own family of origins, different personalities, trying to live under the same roof and figure out life together. It's not an easy feat. Or how about how to navigate sex and sexuality in our very over-sexualized culture in the complexities that our culture is bringing? Or how about parenting? I have responsibility for a whole nother human being to somehow raise them to be responsible people in this world. That's challenging stuff. Or mental health issues, anxiety or depression. You know, the interest rates, your mortgage and the debt, that's alone enough to give you depression. You know, the price of fruit and vegetables. Have you been to the grocery store lately? I don't know the last time I ate a raspberry. I can't afford them. Job security, social media, technology, how to navigate all of those things. How about our church? Pastor Clyde resigned last month. What's going on with this community that I love? Where are we going? Who's going to be the next senior pastor? Are we there yet? Why is it taking so long? What's that smell? <laughs> Welcome to Southview's family trip 2023. Please fasten your seat belts at this time and secure all baggage underneath your seat and in the overhead compartments. We also ask that your seats and your trade tables are in the upright position. What kind of tests are God, is God going to bring us as a church in this season of liminality? More importantly, I want us to discover what are the purpose of his tests. Now, this word test is a word that is introduced to us in the biblical story that we're going to look at today in the book of Exodus. And it's a story of how God relates to his people that he has already saved. And that is key. Testing comes to those he has already saved and delivered. Because it's not like God goes around, he enjoys going around testing every single person. No, he tests those that he's brought into his community of faith. Because once we've been saved by God, he appoints us as his representatives in the world. And then he gives us opportunities and responsibilities to live out that kingdom life that he's invited us into. And I love how Tim Mackey puts it when he says, the opportunity then becomes the test. So the Israelites, they're a saved people, as we'll discover, and God will ask them to trust in him and surrender their own ways of creating security for themselves. He's going to ask them for some radical surrender. And sometimes the test is going to come in the form of enemies around them. And oftentimes it will come in the lack of resources like food and water. But this is very important. The nature of the test depends on the purposes of the one doing the testing. 
So, for instance, the evil one, the devil, the Satan, the deceiver, uh, he is also testing us. But when he tests us, he's trying to trap us. So his tests are traps. So think of Genesis 3 with Adam and Eve in the garden. Did God really say that you couldn't eat? Do you know that if you do, you'll become like God? He's wanting to destroy humanity. Matthew 4, Jesus in the wilderness. He comes to him, he says, aren't you the son of God? Why don't you just turn that stone into bread? You have the power to do it. His tests are about trapping humanity and destroying lives. But for God, the test for his people is a chance for us as his followers to prove our loyalty and our capabilities in this world as we're filled by his spirit. And so, as you know, we're in this teaching series that we're calling While We Wait, When God Does His Best Work in Us. And so we're going to be picking up the, the story in Exodus chapter 15. So if you have your Bible or Bible app, turn with me to Exodus chapter 15. And I'm just going to give a little background on what's happening here. God has just miraculously delivered uh, the Israelites from Egypt from slavery that they'd been in for hundreds of years and led them across the dry ground of the Red Sea, eradicating the threat of the Egyptian army as they were swallowed up in the waters that God divided. And so they're kind of embarking on this family trip, but they haven't arrived at their final destination. Everything they know about who they are, how to survive, and what is expected of them is stripped away on that final night when they make their escape, leaving them vulnerable and uncertain about life. They don't know how to live under these new arrangements that they find themselves in. And I think we as a church can be feeling some of those same things. I mean, we're in a season of trying to figure out what it looks like to live into the new reality that we have stepped into as a community in this season of transition for us as well. But we see God is not in a hurry to lead them out of liminal space into the land that he's promised to give them because they're not ready yet. And it's into that void where God begins to speak. And he answers some of the basic questions of human existence in really surprising ways, offering himself as a solution to their needs for leadership, guidance, protection, provision, and really revealing his name as the key to their now identity and vocation as his people. God invites them to begin walking in a new direction by trusting him. But as the people are starting to adjust to their new lives in the wilderness, they get thirsty, they get hungry. And it's an opportunity to demonstrate their reliance on God's generosity again and again. So that's the nature of the test that we're going to be looking at today and seeking really to discover together what can we learn as a community from Moses from Israel, God's responses to them as, they walk, as we walk through our own seasons of in-between. And really, here's the main idea that I kind of want us to engage with uh, throughout our time, and we're going to keep coming back to this a number of times. It is in the liminal place where we find out what kind of God he is, and we are given opportunities to trust his grace. It's in those liminal spaces where we find out what sort of God he really is and where we are given opportunities to actually step out and trust in him. Now, I don't know about you, but hunger, thirst, and fear, 
They're powerful masters. God knows this. And we're going to look at three stories here in our passage where Israel faces a crisis in the wilderness. No water, no food, and then no water again. And we're going to see in each story, they complain, they whine, they grumble, they protest. And in each story, they use the word test or testing. And then in each story, God is going to provide for them. But only after he lets them sit in the situation that forces them to trust in him. Sounds fun, right? All right, so Exodus 15. After the destruction of Pharaoh's army in the sea, the Israelites continued their journey eastward into the wilderness of Shur. Now, Shur was a large semi-desert region east of the Egyptian border frontier. And as they're coming out, they've just been delivered, and there's this great big singing. It's a big party, tambourines. Uh, they're dancing. It's a big celebration. It's super loud. There's somebody over in the corner, you know, doing the sprinkler. They're, they're super excited. You know, they're just so happy of what just happened. But then, as the scenes start to move forward, the soundtrack slowly fades away as the cameras begin to cut through several scenes of debilitating weariness thirst, desperation under the merciless desert sun for three successive days, crying children, despairing mothers, fainting old people, angry men. I mean, this family trip is off to a very rocky start. Sounds a lot like the drive I'm going to be taking on Wednesday to Penticton. Crying, whining in the back seat. Where's our snacks? What's going on? Anger. Every time I get to a passing lane, the person that's doing 90 now does 170 and I can't get around them. You know, desperation to finally get to the Okanagan. It's like, why is this taking so long? And then relief. But it turns to terrible frustration when they find water, but they cannot drink it. Three days is close to the limit of what a human can actually do when it comes to drinking water. God knows this. He designed us. And he takes them right to the limit. I recently watched the, the movie uh, Flight of the Phoenix. I've seen it before, but I watched it again. And uh, in this uh, movie, they crash their plane out in the middle of the desert. And uh, they're having to try to fix the plane and put it back together so they can take off again. And they're out in this heat, and they have limited amount of water. And they're running out. And as the show goes on, these people just keep losing it on themselves and on each other because the desperation of water is a reality for them. Now, I've never gone three days without water. I don't think I've actually gone a whole day without water. Um, it's tempting to be critical of the people. But I think we really need to read sympathetically here and just put ourselves in the situation. It must be miserable to be that thirsty. I mean, I have no idea. Three days, they don't find any water. They're hiking, they're moving through the wilderness. They come to a place called Mara, and they couldn't drink it because the water is bitter. I mean, that would be the worst, right? Like, you're so thirsty, you see the water, it's like, oh, that's water. It's like, oh, you can't drink it. And it's not like they have little portable water filters that we have today. You go down to, there was no mech that they could go down to and grab some things, iodine pills, any of that stuff. They're on their own. And this is where we pick up the story in Exodus 15 and verse 24. And friends, this is the word of God. Verse 24, Exodus. And the people complained against Moses, saying, 
What shall we drink? And he, Moses, cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood or a piece of tree. And it was interesting, that word showed there, it's the verb form of the noun Torah. So it's a part of meaning he's, he helped them to see or he instructed them. So it's kind of like this word of law of what's happening, of what God's doing. So he made him see or he instructed him about a tree, something that was going to happen with this tree that he had. So Moses takes this tree, he threw it into the water, and the water becomes sweet. So Moses is this intercessor here. He cries out to God, and as a result of Moses' intercession, God gives him instruction or wisdom or a truth about a tree. And what did Moses do? He followed God's instruction. He takes the tree and he uses it to turn death into life. The water was bitter. He throws it in and death now becomes life to the people. In verse 25, there the Lord made them a statue and an ordinance and there he put them to the test. So this whole thing now we are realizing turns into experience where they are having a chance to trust in God. They have a chance to learn wisdom and instruction. And what is it? Verse 26. He said, If you will listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God. So what we're seeing here is we're seeing this covenantal relationship starting to be set up here. And that covenant relationship that he has with them is to listen and do what I say. If you will listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight... And give heed to his commandments and keep all his statutes. I will not bring upon you any of the diseases that I brought upon the Egyptians. For I'm the Lord who heals you. So this was a test of trust. And it comes with a big if. Now we know God's salvation is unconditional. God delivered the Israelites. They didn't have to do anything. He just delivered them. But now in the wake of that deliverance, now, in response to that redemption that they experience, Israel now is starting to face choices and conditions. Will they or will they not walk in obedience to the voice of the one who saved them? So it's like God is saying, when you face danger or crisis, Southview Church, what are you going to do? Are you going to trust me to do what's right in my eyes? Or are you going to grumble and rebel? When the going gets tough, are you going to follow my instructions for living? Or are you going to try to come up with your own solutions? That was the test. And they failed. They came to the wild and they said, what are we supposed to drink? And they started to complain. They don't trust that God will provide for them. And it's only because Moses steps in to intercede on their behalf that they find life in that circumstance. So having learned the lesson of now dependence on God and really listening to his voice, the people move on to Elam where they found abundant water and nourishment. So that's kind of the first story that we look at. There's still two more to go. And God is going to get a little bit more severe in the following ones. And so in chapter 16 is the story, the famous story of manna. So after leaving Elam and route to Mount Sinai, the Israelites find themselves six weeks later now. So now six weeks into their adventure, into the wilderness of sin. Now sin in Hebrew 
that's related to the name Sinai. That doesn't have any connection to our English word sin. So it's just, it's talking about Sinai. So eventually any supplies of food that they had managed to bring with them in this journey have now run out and they got to this place where they have no food. And it's like, what now? We're told that it's the 15th day of the second month and we pick up in verse 2 of chapter 16. The whole congregation of the Israelites complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the flesh pots and ate our fill of bread. Hey, we might have been slaves back there, but at least we had food. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, I am going to rain bread from heaven for you. And each day the people shall go out and gather enough for that day. In that way, I will test them whether they will follow my instruction or not. My Torah or not. My law so the bread is now going to be the test. And here's what the test is going to be. Verse 5. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So six days of collecting each morning your food. And on the seventh day, you just sit in your house and rest. And you trust that what every other day has only been for one day will just magically become due days worth of food that's the test. The test is to trust that there will be enough to rest on the seventh day. Trust that when you stop working, God will do the work for you to give you what you need. Because remember the first testing story? If you listen to my voice and do what is good in my eyes. So now here's this test of food. It's right out there. I can see it. It's literally right there. It doesn't last more than a day, so I better go and get it. But wait, God gave us an instruction. He says, rest. And that's what we see. The people collect the food on the sixth day, just like they are supposed to. They collect this food called manna. Now, manna in Hebrew is manu, um, and it just literally means, what is it? Basically, it's called the what food. What is it? That's what it was. And apparently we serve manna in our house all the time because the kids come into the table and they're like, what is this? <laughs> so obviously manna still exists. It's just come to our house like it's there like every week. I don't know if you experienced that. But, but anyway, this passage suggests that it was simply not just kind of like a form of bread. It was different. It was more than just mere bread. It was probably more like a, a pastry, maybe like the first Tim Hortons out in the desert. Who knows? Um, but it says, you know, it's like, on the surface, it was like this fine, flaky substance. Uh, they called it manna. It was like coriander seed. It was white. And the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. So there's some of these descriptions. It's not like bread that we would think of bread, but it'd think more like a, a pastry. Anyway, clearly the Israelites had never seen or tasted like anything like that before or after. But we read through the story that there were some people that didn't listen to Moses. They didn't listen to him. And uh, the people are trying to create by their own wisdom what they think is enough. And it actually says that they would go out, but they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it until morning, and it bred worms and became foul. And Moses was angry with them. They're trying to create 
by their own wisdom what they think is how to go through life. And here, in a way, they failed in the same kind of test already by complaining, just like they complained with the water. But now they're given kind of another layer to the test, which is, hey, I'm going to provide you food, but you need to follow my instructions about what to do with the food. And for me, this feels a lot like the Garden of Eden. Because it, it sounds like it's not clear to Eve why she shouldn't eat from that tree. I mean, it looks good for eating. It's a fruit that helps you know good from bad. Yeah, I want to be like God. I want to know good from bad. So I better take that for myself and do what's good in my eyes. Just like the Israelites, it seems prudent to save a little bit of this sky bread for tomorrow. Just keep a little extra in the jar because we don't know if God's going to show up tomorrow with the same thing. And the question for us is, will we follow the instructions that God give us as his representatives in this world? This week, will I love my neighbor as myself? When I open up my computer or my phone, will I run from sexual immorality? Will I build others up instead of tearing them down? Will I care for those in need in my church family and in my community? Will I be a good steward of the resources that God's given to me by blessing others with it? Will I take care of the planet and creation by my actions? God has things to teach that can only be learned in a state of dislocation. Because on the way to Sinai in the wilderness, the Hebrews find out what sort of God he is and are given opportunities to trust his grace. Over and over, opportunity to trust. And so we come to the third story in chapter 17. Israel's gone out from the wilderness of sin and on their journey, they've come now to Rephidim. And guess what? No water. Verse 2 of uh, chapter 17. The people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? So God has tested Israel two times about whether or not they're going to trust him to provide. Now they're putting God to the test. It's not like they're coming uh, to Moses and saying, and to the people and like, you know what? Hey guys, we kind of screwed the pooch last couple times. We messed it up. Uh, let's figure this out. Let's do it better this time. And uh, let's just trust in God. So, hey, Moses, you know, we really want to trust in God. Can you do that thing? Just throw the stick in the water? Like, let's, let's, we really trust God to provide. No, they come and they demand. Give us water. Just like that. That's how it sounded. Give us water. They're testing God. They're putting God's generosity to the test. It's as if you're trying to make God show he's generous as opposed to just trusting that he will be generous. So the people, they're thirsty. They come complaining against Moses. They say in verse 3, Why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and livestock of thirst? Moses, once again, just like Abmerah, he cries out to God. He says to God, What shall I do with this people? They're almost ready to stone me. So God gives him some instruction again. He says, Go and strike this rock with your staff, and water's going to come out. That's exactly what happens. 
And in verse 7, he says, He called the place Massa and Meribah, because the Israelites quarreled and tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? All three of these stories are about tests of trust. And in this last one, when God's people fail to trust, they get demanding and arrogant. They actually take their status as God's chosen ones so for granted that they use it as a platform to accuse God of not delivering. Isn't that interesting? Doesn't that feel so true to the human condition of us? It's just something we would do, right? Like you'd be shown grace, you're giving all of these chances, and then you just kind of get acclimated to that to the point where you're just like, I actually deserve this. It's like you take the gifts that somebody's given to you and you so take them for granted that you begin to behave in ways like you deserve it and you're owed it. I think that's a challenge for Christians. As we walk in God's grace, we can get to the place where I'm so used to God's grace, I now think I deserve God's grace. And I put him in a box. And I make every other person around me feel uncomfortable and judge because it's like, I'm better than them. That's putting God to the test. Now, remarkably, God does not scold the Israelites when they complain or panic as they travel towards Sinai. He simply provides for their needs over and over and over again. And so he's using this trip to demonstrate what sort of God he is so that they can learn to trust in him. And that's what the wilderness experience is about. It's a place where Israel's obedience is going to be tested, a test that they're going to regularly fail over and over. And at the same time, in the midst of all of their complaining and the failure that would cost a whole generation from going into the promised land, they will come to know the God who has saved them and will prove himself faithful in providing for them and protecting them in this whole journey through these 40 years. Because out of this testing comes knowing. That's the lesson for this whole wilderness period anticipated here. And Moses is going to teach this very thing to the next generation as the journey reaches its climax before they go into the promised land. And we see Moses doing that as he's teaching the next generation. If you flip over to Deuteronomy chapter 8, this is the next generation. He's preparing them to go into the land. Moses and the people that failed all these tests will not be going in. And he's passing on these truths to them. And he says this in Deuteronomy chapter 8, uh, verse 1. This entire commandment that I command you today, you must diligently observe so that you may live and increase and go in and occupy the land that the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. Remember the long way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness in order to humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commandments. He humbled you by letting you hunger, then by feeding you with manna, with which neither you nor your ancestors were acquainted, in order to make you understand that one does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. That's what the wilderness experience was developing in the people. 
And like the rest of the wilderness narratives, the events of our passage lived on in Israel's memory. And the story served as a testimony of God's faithful provision throughout those 40 years. And it became uh, parts of their celebrations of worship as they gathered together. But it was also a recording of their ungrateful kind of whining and rebellious nature in the wilderness. And it became a warning for future generations and for us today. Because in God's big story, memory always generates hope. Because what God did in the past, God can and will repeat, even in greater ways in the future. And one day, the God who ordered creation to supply the needs of his people in the wilderness of Sinai will renew and reorder creation to supply the needs of the redeemed from every nation in the city of God, the New Jerusalem. That will be the new creation, the new heaven, and the new earth. But we're not there yet. We're kind of in this penultimate part of the story, this in-between, just like Israel was in between the Exodus and the Promised Land. We're between the historical uh, narrative of Jesus' death and resurrection, and ultimately when Christ comes back again. And so we, like Israel, we're a pilgrim people, a people on the move, in between. And in that space, God is calling us to fulfill our royal task as representatives in this world. But God is testing us to see, Southview, are you trustworthy? I'm looking for partners in this kingdom work that we're endeavoring to be a part of. That's the test before us. It's an opportunity to do something important, something powerful in this world. Just like the Israelites, they had lots of opportunities to trust in God, to provide water and food daily. But instead, they blame God. They even say he trapped them in the wilderness to kill them. And so these patterns of these tests are important for us. And it should cause us to wonder, regardless of where you are, if you're getting ready to go off to college, go back to work this next week, whatever it is, will we face these same tests? Yes. We will be confronted with similar tests. And the choice is up to us. Are we going to live by God's wisdom or by our own? Will we partner with God to bear his image in the world, or will we go it alone? Because as we see, the rest of the story of Israel is pretty much the same. They don't trust God and his promises. They're not loyal, and eventually the whole nation fails. And the story of the Bible makes it abundantly clear that all humans are unable to pass this test and really seize the opportunity to be truly human the way God designed us to be. We've all failed. But the good news of the biblical story is that God himself became human to pass the test on our behalf. That's why the author of Hebrews tells us that Jesus was tested in every way that we are. But he ruled over those temptations and he didn't let sin devour him. And not only did Jesus pass this test, he also offered himself as a sacrifice for you and for me. And that's what Paul gets to in his letter in Romans when he says in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, since all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, they are now justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a sacrifice of atonement by his blood, effective through faith. 
Friends, Jesus offered his own life as a sacrifice to cover all of the failed tests of the people of Israel, to cover all the failed tests of humanity. Jesus passed the ultimate test on our behalf. He was perfect. And as we put our faith in him, knowing that he ultimately passed the test for us, that doesn't mean that everything is going to be great. We are going to still face tests along the way. Tests that will force us to trust God in radical new ways. And these tests, friends, they can be difficult and they can be painful. And some of you are experiencing some of them in your own personal lives right now. But it is important to remember that a test from a good God is an opportunity. And that's why James says in the book of James that we should be grateful when we actually face tests and trials because they offer us a gift. It's an opportunity to surrender to God's wisdom and to become more like Jesus who loved us and passed the test on our behalf, reuniting us back to God and restoring us to our divine purpose in this world with him. And ultimately, that is liminality. In each and every day, you are going to face another test as you seek to follow Jesus. And will you choose to follow the instructions of your Savior and live life the way he's invited you to live it? Because he's looking for partners. And he's looking to this church to partner with him in the work he's doing in this community. And so we're going to close. I'm going to give an opportunity. If, you've, if you're here and you're like, you know what, I'm kind of checking this church thing out, but this Jesus guy sounds pretty cool. Somebody passed a test on my behalf. I've been really swimming in life. I'm going to give you an opportunity to reach out and just say yes to Jesus. And there's going to be an opportunity for whatever you're walking in to kind of experience a step of surrender in those things as well. So I'm going to invite you to bow your head and close your eyes. Trust that God is here speaking through his spirit. And if you are here today and you're in a place where you're hearing about the good news of Jesus and you're at a place where, you know what? I've never put my faith in Jesus. And you're here in a place and you just want to do that even tonight. I'm going to invite you to surrender your life and believe in him. The one who gave his life for you. And if that is you tonight, I'm just going to invite you, just raise your hand. I'd love to pray for you. Just a place of surrender. Thank you. For those who are here tonight, you're walking through something. Pretty deep liminal space. God knows what it is. And this is an opportunity, the test that is before you. And he's inviting you to trust in him, to surrender all, radical surrender. If you're walking through something like that, I'm going to invite you, just raise your hand. I'd love to pray for you as well. Thank you. Thank you.
Heavenly Father, we thank you that you're moving here and for those who are wanting to say yes to you for the very first time. Oh God, I pray that you would just powerfully meet them tonight and that you would be there all, that they would understand fully the sacrifice you made, that you love them so much that you sent your son into this world to die, to be a sacrifice for them. And if they just believe in you, they will receive life and life everlasting. I thank you for them taking that step to surrender. And Father, for those who are walking through just deep and dark waters, kind of like the Red Sea, and it's just looming before you. God, we're praying for deliverance. We pray that we would just trust you in that. And for these people, I pray that they would once again, in this test, choose to surrender to the King of Kings, the one who walks with us, Emmanuel, God with us. Meet them in their place. Oh, Father, would you provide for their need as, you, as they are at the limit and they're reaching out to you. God, thank you for meeting us in this place. And we thank you that you sent your son, Jesus, to show us a different way to live. Really the way of deep humility and obedience and God, you've called us to love one another, just like our stampede breakfast, loving our neighbors, regardless of who they are, working together, serving together with one heart and mind, kind of balancing our needs, our resources with the needs of those around us, giving out of our blessings so that we can bless others. Oh, Father, would you give us courage to follow faithfully and with integrity, with actions that kind of bear witness to the words we speak and a worship that overflows into our daily tasks, our relationships with one another, so that our lives will bring honor and glory to you, the one who redeemed us. In Jesus' name, we give thanks. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Well, I invite you to stand as we, as we close. And if you're uh, wanting somebody to, to pray with you or just talk more, uh, feel free to come after the service. We'd love to, to chat. I'd love to get to know you, and it's an opportunity to hear other people's stories. We all come from different walks of life, and our service isn't over. This is a place to go and meet somebody, and uh, I'm going to keep doing this every time I get up here. It just makes it easy. So after the service, when we're all done, we're going to just get you to turn around, and we're going to get you to hold out your hand and introduce yourself to those around you, okay? You simply say, my name is, and you insert, say your name out loud. Wow, you don't even know your names. Okay, we got it. Okay. Who are you? <laughs> so I'm going to, when we close with the benediction, turn around. Maybe you might have to walk a little bit. It's okay. And I'm going to watch. This is a test. Okay. An opportunity to live into being a representative of the king. And that's an opportunity to hang out, go get some cardo coffee, and uh, bless one another. But as you go into this week, remember these words uh, from Jeremiah. Blessed are those whose trust is in the Lord, who have made the Lord their hope and their confidence. For they are like trees planted along a riverbank with roots that reach deep into the water. Such trees are not bothered by the heat or worried by long months of drought. Their leaves stay green and they go right on producing delicious fruit. Go in the peace of Christ and serve the Lord. Amen.